We are live. Got it. <laughs> okay. Adjust my volume. Okay, we're rocking. Rocking on. Welcome to the Heuristic Podcast. Um, this is my first guest, Brittany Lucchese, my wife. Oh. It's still weird. Um, and I feel like no one, my wife. it's always like a three-namer. Lucchese is start, starting to creep in, but it hasn't set in yet for most. <laughs> so the reason that I wanted to have you as my first guest on the podcast is because you, um, is not because you've always <laughs> teased me about being the first guest on my podcast, um, but because I find you to be one of the more interesting individuals that I ever met, uh, besides just being my favorite person. Wow. Um, not only are you an amazing person, but, um, something that's really interesting about you is what you've done in your own, um, professional career. I know that you end up getting asked about that a lot, but, um, for me in particular, I like talking to you about that or asking you about that because what you've experienced and what you've done, um, I think not many people have, uh, gotten to experience in their own lives and maybe never get to experience at least to the degree that you've done it. Um, so for those of you that might be listening, um, in the future, uh, my wife, Brittany is a theater performer. Um, she is extremely talented, but also one of the hardest workers that I've ever met in my life. Um, the amount of shows that she's been in, I've lost count at this point. Um, what have you been in over 10 shows? Yes, definitely. <clears throat> right. Over 10. Like, yeah. From my non-equity days to touring to Broadway, regional houses, I would say, yeah, we are, we are above 10 at this point. How I've old were you when you got into your first show? High school, right? 17. And which one was that? High School Musical at Paper Mill Playhouse. So I've done six shows alone there. So I definitely have done over 10. And how many Broadway shows have you been in now? Two on Broadway specifically. Um, a Bronx Tale. I was a part of the OBC, which is the original Broadway company. And I was a part of The Prom, where I was a replacement in the ensemble. So I got to close out that show. Um, but I've done multiple Broadway tours. So if you want to count those as well. Mm. And <laughs> right now you're on Mean Girls, on the Mean Girls tour. And um, on the first night. Currently located in Dallas. Yes, we have one more week here. Um, so I know that not everyone might be a fan of theater. They might not enjoy theater, um, but you can appreciate excellence, I think, in, um, in, in anything. Anything that you do, you can appreciate excellence in, in anything else. So um, since you've made it to the pinnacle of your career, um, or at least like, you know, as far as you can go, and now you're continuing to work, um, try to get into shows, um, stay in shows, just stay active. Um, I'd say, what kind of advice would you give to people that are starting off in theater? Let's just start off with theater. What kind of advice would you give to people that are trying to get into your industry? Um, it is not as easy as it looks. <laughs> um, most people have the conception that we, or the perception that we just play dress up and sing and dance all the time. And it's fun. And there's 
nothing really too difficult about it. But it could not be more of the opposite of that, especially when you're on tour because you're not in your normal habitat and, and around your normal people that you normally would surround yourself with. So it's having to deal with changing cities every week or every few weeks. It's having to find a gym that's close by that you can keep up with your workouts or lugging a yoga mat around so that you can do a practice in your hotel room. Everything is sort of um, condensed into this little world that we live in on tour. So that I feel like a lot of people don't understand and they just are like, well, you get to see the world and you get to see the country and you're in all these like cool places all the time. And like, yes, that's a huge plus of it, which is why a lot of people go on tour, but the living aspect and how to keep things as normal as they can be while being on the road, I think is very difficult. Um, so would, would most, are most theater performers on tour or a large percentage? I would say it's kind of half and half. Um, Broadway itself is pretty select and there's only X amount of shows running at one time on Broadway. Um, it depends on the amount of houses that are available and how they're selling. So once you get into a Broadway show, just because you get into that show doesn't mean that your show A is going to remain open indefinitely um, or B that you will stay with the show even if it does stay open. So there's always the chance that after your six month contract, you will not continue or you will continue. So there's never a sense of security within the industry. And I think that's also very difficult. It's because you see a lot of people who constantly work over and over and over again. You're like, well, they're doing it. So it has to be pretty secure if they're able to land all of these jobs. But so much goes into it other than talent at this point, um, especially in this day and age. A lot of it is who you know. And now we're in COVID time, so you're not auditioning in person as much. It's sending self-tapes in, which is very difficult. And some people do better in person. Some people do better on a self-tape. So there's just so many different factors that go into it. Um, I also would say one of the main things I always give to like students I teach or people I chat with about theater is trying to remain as authentic and unique to yourself as you possibly can and trying not to conform to what you think others want you to be. Mm. Um, obviously, you know, but I'm five feet tall. So my span of, <laughs> of roles is kind of limited in a way. But at the age that I am, I'm still able to play 16 year olds. And like when I did Annie, um, Annie live on NBC, I was playing an orphan who was, I mean, anywhere between nine and 13. So you have to sort of find your little niche as you're going through and being confident in the role that you're kind of being placed within. Because as much as you want to think that you're one way, casting and agents and directors and choreographers may see you in another light. And mm -hmm. so it's sort of also being adaptable, which most of us grew up wanting to be one certain way and, and we're aiming to, to be that way. And within this industry, there is never a mold in my brain that I want to conform to. It's sort of allowing others to see me how they see me and I'm able to adapt to those different things. So being adaptable and just staying true to who you are as the performer and as the artist is I think the most difficult, but also in the end, the most say, that's hard to do because then you end up, you end up getting shows and things that specifically fit you really well because you just went in authentically. You didn't go in putting on this role or putting on trying to be someone else that you're not. So as much as you can stay true that's, to yourself. I mean, even me not being an actor or not having any theater training, that's hard to imagine that you have to pretend to be someone else well enough to get the part, but right. you also have to still be yourself. Right. As you're doing like, that. You want to see everyone's personality in themselves in the show. 
So like certain shows, though, they want a uniform look. So the ensemble or whoever will be uniform to the eye, but there's still something very unique about each performer. Um, so like Mean Girls, like we're all playing high schoolers. Like that would be like our blanket. Like we're all playing the same age. But if you look on stage, not one person is remotely the same. So so if the if say the number one and two skills or things that people entering the industry need are the ability to be adaptable. And um, what else did you say? Just knowing that you have to be authentic to yourself. I mean, that seems like really important life skills in general, right? Right. So, so like, as you're trying to perfect your skills um, in your industry, you're also Having to make sense of yourself as a human, right? So you're still having to live the normal life while you're still trying to pursue this crazy career of nothing ever being secure. So, like, you need to be as secure in yourself in order for all the stuff around you that's constantly changing to just feel normal in a way, which is weird to now think about and say out loud. But that's basically what we're doing every day: is trying to stay as true to ourselves as we can while literally everything around us surroundings people the show change on a daily basis so something that um that always interests me about people that enter your career is um is if i mean coming from my world people are or just you know people that aren't in theater or show business they always think that career is too risky or that um you know it it might be too big of a a chance to take so I mean, it, like I mean, it is. Wrong, it really it, is. But it's you have to be okay with that. You know what I mean? You have to. You're going. Would you in say that most people that are aware of that risk when they're getting into it? But also, I feel like there are a good amount as well that aren't completely honest with themselves and the talent and capabilities that they have to make it to the pinnacle. Like, there's always room to grow, and there's always room to obviously improve your talent and the things that that you find yourself really good at. Um, Like you have to be a true triple threat at this point in age in theater. When years ago, there was- What do you mean by triple threat? A singer, dancer, and actor. Years ago, there was within shows, a specific acting track, track meaning like part. Um, There was a specific dance track and a specific singing track. Now everything is in one. So you really have to be on your top game for all three. You used to be able to list, like, I'm a dancer first, then I'm an actor, then I'm a singer, or I'm a singer, then a dancer. Now, why do you, why do you think it changed? I think just the sh- with, like, the way the times are going, the shows are evolving. And so people have demand more? I think every, shows? every department demands more, yeah. It's, it's, it gives them more leeway to be more creative in their sense because all the people that are before them can do all things. So nothing is super limited. Um, so it's so, so very, the, the standards? of getting selected is very selective. <laughs> right. So, I mean, you can make the argument that if you think too much about that challenge or that risk when you're going into it, that you might not ever know what your full potential is. Well, right. So, because you also never know what they're looking for, which right. is also what's difficult. So you're always going in kind of blind to auditions. You can like hear what you think they're looking for, what your agent has talked to them about or, or different people who have gone in before you. So like you can have an idea, but you truly never know, A, who's going to be behind the table that day, 
or B, what specific track or personality or whatever they are really looking for. So everything is very subjective, which also makes it difficult. So like when I would call my agent, if I didn't get a job, I would be like, would you mind just getting some feedback so that I know for the next time I go in for them, what I can improve right. on, or if it was something I can improve on, was it just because I was too short? Was it because I had brunette hair? Like it could be totally like a plethora of reasons why you don't get a particular show, not solely relying on the talent that you brought into the room. That's, I think, a really important point. And I think that point can be made for everything. Um, right. Recently, I was talking to someone about jujitsu. And um, the reason that I love jujitsu so much or martial arts in general is because when you lose, it forces you to figure out why you lost immediately. So, well, and you want to improve on it. Right. Hopefully. <laughs> you, right. right? And, like you and, don't want to keep keep getting knocked down, keep losing the job, keep losing whatever, if it's things that you can control. If you can't control it, like I cannot control my height. Right. You know what I mean? There's just, I can wear lifts and I can be like, well, in a heel, I'm 5'4". You know what I mean? It's, it's like those things I can't control. But if I didn't sing my song correctly or if I, you know, cracked or, or fell in a pirouette or, or things like that I know I can control and, and improve on, why, why wouldn't you? You know what I so mean? So at the beginning of your career, when you would get turned down in auditions, um, was that hard for you to accept or to become aware of that, you know, there are certain things that you can control and there are certain things that you can't control and that you should be eager to figure out the ones that you can and yes and no. I think I, I always had that mentality of like, if I didn't get something, it wasn't, it was for something that I can control and I could, I could work on. I think it took a, a few years for me to realize that that is not always the case. Mm. Um, so you're saying I at the beginning you took, you took everything on as your fault. Right. Right. I took it very personal. Whereas then like the, the longer I was in the industry and after working in a few shows and then Bronx Tale really turned everything around when I got to be behind the table and see how things worked and how it truly is like a puzzle piece. And they always say that it's a puzzle piece, but being behind the scenes and then as a dance captain of the show, knowing what we really needed, even though the talent coming in was so good, it just wasn't particularly right for that one thing we were searching for that day. So it made it made me realize that like the people that are behind the table want you to succeed. They're not wanting mm -hmm. you to fail. Um, and that was another whole hurdle to get over. It's like, they just don't want me. Like, they just don't like me when that's actually not the case at all. You just didn't fit that puzzle piece for that day. Maybe if I went in on Thursday, the puzzle piece would have shifted and I, you know what I mean? Would have gotten in there. Like, it's always the, you never know. Um, so when I first was starting, I truly was going in kind of blind. I had no idea what I was doing. I started as a dancer my whole life. I didn't really do theater per se until when I booked high school musical and that sort of was like a happy accident, which is what changed my whole trajectory of what I was even going to go to school for. So it, um, it was eye opening in a sense that sometimes going in unknowing, like ignorance is bliss. It's like mm -hmm. with certain things that actually is very accurate because you don't invest that like heart and soul into something because you truly don't know anything about it. <laughs> and so I feel like a lot of the things that in the beginning I was getting, I truly just, it was like by happen chance. Like I had no idea what I was really doing. I am you very, put yourself good, out there. right. I'm good at adapting and I'm good at mimicking. So a lot of the auditions I was going into were specifically for like jazz, hip hop, um, like contemporary type shows not so much the old school shows like Hello Dolly and like things that are like iconic 
um, from back then. Mm-hmm. So I was going in doing dance that I have was doing normally, like in school and everything else. So it wasn't so far stretched that I was going into the, these auditions, but I also was putting myself into rooms that I knew I was not going to book. I knew I wasn't right for the show, but it just gave me a handle on how to audition, which is a whole other skill in itself. So you can have all the skill in the world. You knew that going into it. Right. So I was, I felt like myself, I was always like one step ahead of, of myself. Um, or like what I thought I knew. So I would go into these auditions knowing I couldn't book it, but it gave me a sense of like, just again, like repetition of being in an audition room and like mm-hmm. having people watch me and being singled out and having to sing by myself and do all these things. So it sort of so gave you were me- aware of the fact that you were doing that as you were doing that. Yeah. Because it was a way that I then could get comfortable with auditioning so that auditions didn't become the be all end all. They became more of was like that, a Was that something that other people that you were auditioning with were also doing or aware of? Or is that like a thing that like people some, go through? Yes. Some were, but some weren't. Like some submitted themselves for every single audition and thought they could book every single audition. Like I would go into shows that I knew they were looking for girls five, four and up. But A, I wanted to learn the dance combo. You just wanted B, to get a rep. Right. B, I wanted casting to keep seeing me trying because it's it's a small industry. So as many people are on Broadway and with behind the scenes, like it's a lot of the same people consistently just now like switching shows and going to this new project. So you kind of need to get your name out there so that people are keep seeing you over and over again just to know that you're still doing it. Um, so that was sort of my goal in the beginning was just to start getting recognized and people to start knowing who I was. So that's why I always joke like we got married and I was like, I I can't really change my name for theater because I'm known as Brittany Kanagati. But in life, it's different because I... in a decade plus building that name. Right, right. So it's like I'm known as Brittany Kanagati. It's rare that someone is just like Brittany or most will call me by my last name or something. Some people in your industry go by one name. Right. So I'm I'm a two-namer. It's like when everyone seems like, oh, it's Brittany Kanagati. So it like flows now so much that... It'd be weird coming in and, I mean, I'm just changing from one Italian name to another, so it's not super crazy, but it's, you start to establish yourself in one way and that's how, how everyone knows you. So at what point did you start to um, completely let go and know that you were going into auditions where you could get that part and that it was possibly suited for you and that it might have even been a part that you wanted to get, but still, um, show your authentic self and not try to be something that you weren't in that room. Like, how did you get yourself into that space? Because in, in my view, if I was, or even in my own life, when I am attached to, to something, or if I really want it, it's much more difficult to, um, detach and be present. Right. right. Um, I mean, like you've witnessed some of the ones that I've, I'm going in for and I'm like, I really want this. Like, this is the show that like, it's right for me. I want to do it. And then when I don't get it, like there is the upset. Like, I'm not saying I'm never upset if I don't get it. Um, there definitely are moments when like you question, like, what am I doing? But when you do get those shows, you then see the reward that comes from it. And so all of the hard work that you've put into it, the payoff is getting able to perform on stage. Mm -hmm. And I think even with like the pandemic and stuff, it showed I mean, me, it truly was like, I was like having identity crises. I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do because I've done one thing since I'm 17. And so it's like years of putting in the work for something, going to school for it, touring at like starting at the age of 19, I went on tour. Like I totally gave up 
kind of my like twenties in a sense to do this. And the fact that it just like more than more than just your twenties. Right. So like, you're right. Like I didn't go to like a crazy, like a college where it was like football heavy and like all those like intramural sports and all those things. Right. And my high school was an art school. So I didn't, I really experience what everyone would see as like the quintessential high school experience either. So like from the age of 13, I was investing in my dance technique, what I wanted to do when I, you know, graduated, going to college, picking a college that was right for that. Um, And so I sort of just had that mentality from a younger age. And luckily my parents were very supportive and just sort of navigated me that way. Even if I didn't know I wanted to do it, like they saw it in me. I love that you... uh... I love that you use the word investing. So what do you, what were you investing? What do you think you were investing in? And, um, and my and life. <laughs> what was it? Okay. And what was it that you were investing? Time, which for you is the most important asset that we have. Am I right? right? Like, <laughs> but so, so, now, so now really think about that. If you're investing, that time. but if you're investing all of your time, something that I, I keep thinking about now, and it's just fascinating because um, it's a scary decision. Like at what point does someone know when it's time to, you know, not go to that audition anymore or you right. know, not try or, you know, so, so what kept you going or was it, you know, booking a show every now and then that kept you? I mean, that encouraged? definitely helps, but it's just like in my gut, like I know I'm not done yet. There's just right. something like innately in me that I'm like, I can do this for performing wise, like physically a few more years, but like, I also love the back end of it. Like I love the associate world and being an associate for a choreographer. Like I love seeing that side of it and seeing a show like come to fruition from the ground up. Like when I set the um, Bronx Tale tours, basically I was going in teaching two brand new companies, the show from the ground up. And while you're in it, it's very stressful, very difficult. Everyone's asking you questions. It's a lot of the decisions fall on you, but then all of a sudden like, first preview comes and you see it like come to life and you're like, wow, I like, I did that. Like I set that show. They learned it from me. Those transitions are happening because I explained them to the stage manager that way. Like a lot of the things that stress you out and cause you all this turmoil, you then see as the big picture and it just, it's, it's That's cool. insane to see. Yeah. So it's like things like that. And then in the pandemic, like I've always taught dance to younger kids growing up. Like I started teaching dance at, I mean, I was like an assistant at the age of like 12. So I didn't, I don't think I appreciate it as much then. I loved like teaching like the little kids and stuff, but now coming back to it after being on Broadway, after touring and doing all of these things and coming back to like my home studio that my best friend owns and like seeing her kids look to me as like, you did it. Like, what can you tell us? What are all the advice you can give us? And what can you do? And what can we do at the age? And they're 10 and nine, 13 years old. So it's like, seeing like that was me and like there was one person who truly like came in to my dance studio and did a master class from Wicked which mm-hmm. Wicked is like <laughs> the thorn in my side the show that I want to be in so bad and would give up anything to be a part of um just hasn't been on the cards yet but it's the show or the combo that I learned First, it was the first theater combo I ever did in my studio in a master class that I literally went home and was like, I can do this. If this is what Broadway mm-hmm. can be, 
I just have to like learn how to sing. It's just <laughs> and, more of these eight counts that I have to remember. Right. But it was just like, and Wicked is, is different than a lot of shows too, because it's, it's contemporary dance, which is rare that you see in a show. Um, I would say Moulin Rouge is probably the closest to that currently um, because the choreographer, Sonia Taihe, she comes from that world of, of strictly dance. So going into Wicked auditions, doing like those combos, it just lived in my body that I was like, this is the show that I, this is like my quintessential show. Like if I could do this show, I don't need to do any other show on Broadway. Um, I still kind of feel that way. So, <laughs> so going in for that show, um, or doing those like dance combinations with the guy, Ryan, who was a part of the original Broadway company, he sort of changed my whole mind as to being like, wait, like I might be able to do this as a career. I never saw it as a career option because I wasn't a theater kid. I didn't grow up doing theater. I did like summer theater camp for a week with my friends because I just wanted to hang out with them. And I didn't have soccer practice that week or something. Like it was all things that I just did for fun. And we joke about it all the time now, like my group of friends where it's like of all the people in this group, like the fact that I'm doing this as a career is kind of crazy because that's not ever growing up how it seemed. So, um, I think because I went into the industry sort of very far behind a lot of people, it gave me the sense of just going for it. And like, if it didn't work, it didn't work. I knew what there was other things I was capable of doing. I was going to say, so it's almost like you went in detached to a degree. It's like, it's like what we were saying before when you go into that. Like some people have theater and theater is life, life or death. And they take it too seriously. Right. And I feel like I've experienced, I mean, even more so now, but I've experienced things that, it's not my be all end all and that there are so many other things that I would love to do mm. that this is not my Do you think that gives you an advantage to a degree? I think so. I think it just, it makes me see it for what it is and not for it, me atta- like attaching to it. Like, I mean, obviously I'm attached to it because when I don't have a job, I'm freaking out. Um, but in a sense, it's like, I know I can be okay if Mean Girls could be my last show. Like who knows what the future is holding? Mm. Do I want it to be? No, I'd love to keep going. But I think it it, it just gives me a, a broader outlook on life that I don't have to solely rely on theater. Whereas mm-hmm. most some people think that they do. Um, and, so I think I just some, value things differently. And to be in your position um, right now and, and realize that that's huge. Right. I'd say. Right. Um, so. Yeah, so so going back to uh, what I was originally asking you and what kind of advice you would give for people, if you had to maybe not make it so theater-specific, but just thinking of yourself and realizing that you are someone that reached the pinnacle of your career, right? And that's, like I said at the beginning, that's not something that most people ever experience, but it's um, it's much of what we're all going after, which is just excellence. You know, it doesn't have to be the pinnacle of your career or whatever you're doing, just meeting your own excellence, wherever it is. What kind of advice would you give to anyone going after um, anything like that or just trying to meet their potential in, in anything that they're pursuing? It's, it's going to be a roller coaster. Like nothing, maybe it'll be easy, but most of the time it's going to be the like uphill battle and then like the coasting along and then the sudden drop down. I feel like if you're coasting for too long, something's up you know what I mean like I feel like there's never and there could be but in my, in my there's never the world that it's 
just always easy. Like I literally, from the time I started up until now, like I am still working and trudging through and like trying to continue to get that next show or get the next thing while still trying to be like happy and content in what I have. And that I think is very, very difficult, especially when you're not surrounded by your normal people or the people that you feel the most comfortable with. So like here, I came in as what's called a vacation swing, where if someone takes a vacation, I would come in and do that part for the week that they were gone and then I would leave. So I was very in and out in the beginning. And then post COVID, they asked if I would stay on as a swing, which in the theater world is I have to learn all of the girl ensemble tracks, which in this show is eight of them. And be able to jump into the show at any moment, whether it's mid-show, before the show, tomorrow. I just have to be ready for those eight people if one of them were to go down. So now I took over an ensemble track, so I only technically have to know one part, not eight anymore, even though I still know the eight. But so it's, it's just the trajectory of how you're going throughout the shows even is never stable. <laughs> so you think you're in, like, I've been a part of Mean Girls per se since 2019, but... I have constantly shifted who I am within that show. Right. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's being okay with going on the roller coaster. I would say mm-hmm. is like my, the advice I would give. Um, and you just, you never know what to expect. So that's, it goes back to just being secure in yourself. Mm-hmm. And like you always tell me, like being your own best friend, which is very difficult. Like I like being around people. I like, going to breakfast with someone like eating by myself was like a huge deal in the beginning. I was like, wow, like I'm, I'm going to take breakfast. Right. Right. And I remember calling you and like the first few times being like, I just need to like sit on the phone with you because I feel like I need to talk to someone. But like now I'll go and I'll, I'll bring a book with me or I'll have a book on my phone and read it. Or if I know I have to get something done, it's not as severe anymore. I'm, I'm learning to be okay with being by myself. Um, I just enjoy the company of others. So I guess that's where like the difference is right. Like I enjoy people's company, but I am capable and okay to do it on my own. So that I think is, was like a a big lesson for me still is a big lesson for me (laughs) out here. Because I'm sure the journey, even separate of theater, um, even if you were pursuing something similar, um, I'm sure it would feel lonely at times too. You know, like if you're right, and your show because you're changing shows so often, like your friends are changing so often. Mm-hmm. So like you're not guaranteed to be in another show with the person that is now like your bestie in the show. Like you never know if you'll work with them again. Who knows? It all depends on this puzzle that they put together, and if by chance you guys end up back in the same company. You so you like, have to attach or end right. They have to also go in right, knowing that where it's like okay, like I know this contract is six months. Like we can be besties for six months. Like it's now our job once this. And to uphold that friendship, like the girls in a Bronx tale, like I talk to almost every day, just the convenience of being in the same room. Right. Right. So it's, it's that. And then it's learning to trust people because you're surrounded by new people every day that you don't know. And it's, it's all changing all the time. So So it's kind of like with change. Right. Right. And adapting, which goes back to my original thing is like, as long Mm -hmm. as you go in with like this open mind, it's, you're sort of setting yourself up for success because there's nothing to be let down about. There's nothing mm. to, to be upset over because you're going in being like, I don't know what's going to happen and I hope it's good. But if not, then it, there's some lesson to be learned as you're doing everything. So whether it's a lesson in physically theater or like whatever that aspect is, or if it's just a lesson for yourself, 
um, there is always something to learn. And I was talking about this yesterday where with COVID, it's really difficult. Like there's sometimes multiple people out at one time. So it's, there's a thing called split tracks where one person is having to basically do two different parts. And our show has been having to do them sort of frequently because of different instances and others. Some people's family members have passed away that they have to go home for. Like life is still happening yeah. outside of our show. And so I was talking to um, the dance captain, Niani, on the show, and I was just saying, like, as much as it seems like there isn't a solution, there is always a solution. Is it the solution that you want or that is, like, the pinnacle of what you would like it to be? Maybe not, but there is always something that can work. Mm. So if you just go in with the mindset of, like, everything is fixable, everything is doable, unless you're down, like, 20 people, like, when our company got COVID in (laughs) In January, then like, obviously, like we can't like make bodies appear, but like for, for us being here, like there is always a solution. And like, you can, I feel like take that sort of outside of your job in life and just like, okay, like how can I spin this situation to not be as negative and as like draining as I'm making it be? Like, why am I giving it so much weight? Like, and I tell you all the time, like the things, like I end up getting mad at myself for investing so much energy in things that don't matter. And then I'm like, now I just spent all that energy and time on that when I could have been spending it on this, that would actually, you know, improve me as a person and right. The, the relationships that I'm within. So it's, there's always a constant battle. So I guess. I'd say that's phenomenal. That's great. That's one of the best lessons that we can learn. Mm -hmm. Um, I can talk to you for hours and I probably should have upgraded to the paid (laughs) version before we did this, but, um, (laughs) We are running out of time here on the unpaid free version of Zoom. <laughs> so uh, I will come back for an episode two with the beautiful uh-huh. Brittany. Yay, I get um, a second one. This was a ton of fun. I could do this for hours. And yeah, this will give me some, some more uh, questions to ask you too. Well, I have one last question. What yes. made you start this podcast? And you have two minutes to wrap it up. Oh, you can see the time too? I can. Okay. <laughs> um, what made me want to start this podcast? I think I've always wanted to, or not always, but just for a while. Um, I love conversation. I feel like I learn most in conversation. Um, I come up with some of my best thoughts in conversation. I feel like other people come up with great thoughts in conversation too. So I feel like it's a uh, it's a perfect breeding ground for growth, learning. Um, and I'm curious about a ton of people and why people do what they do. Um, so yeah, so I feel like this is uh, just the perfect platform and the medium to host that. I agree. It's fun watching you, you ask me questions. Is it? Because normally when you ask me questions, I'm always like, all right, Mike, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about it later. And now I had to answer you blinking red light. You're, you're pressured. I might, I might I do this every single time we, we speak. You're super focused. I am. I'm very zoned. <laughs> <laughs> My phone's on silent. <laughs> Good. All right. We will end it here. I love you. I love you. Proud of you. Okay. So we're back. Um, we had to take a quick uh, 24 hour break. I had to upgrade to the paid version of zoom. Um, so now we have unlimited minutes. Woohoo. I don't know if that's going to be good or bad. <laughs> Could be good or bad. Um, so did you tell people our agreement for um, what I owe you per 10 minutes of your time? I did not. <laughs>
So I have to um, cook her a breakfast for every 10 minutes that I um, hold her on Zoom here. So we're up to like three or four so far. So let's Can't see wait. how many we can make it. Um, no, I'm kidding. But I also make your breakfast. Um, so after yesterday, what I really wanted to get um, more into with you was about risk in general. Um, I don't know if it's something that you personally think about. I try to ask you about it sometimes just because I'm curious and it's something that I'm still trying to make sense of myself um, daily. Um, throughout my different life experiences, I've learned that risk is involved in every single choice that we make, um, personal, financial, career, um, uh, interpersonal, uh, food choices, literally every choice that we make um, involves some measure of risk in some way, shape or form whether we're aware of it or not. So something that I want to ask you or just pick your brain about is, um, do you think it's detrimental to think about the risk that you're taking on in your career um, that you have? Like, you know, is it detrimental to think about that risk that you're taking um, too often? Like, you know, does that stop your ability to be able to perform or to be authentically yourself or to... Um, you know, I don't know, maybe be seen in the way that you want to be seen. So if you think about that risk too often, um, does that hinder you? I never thought of it that way. So I'm going to say no. Okay. Um, but like, you know me so well, like I don't have as much of an issue going for the risk in my career than I do going for the risk in my life. <laughs> Right. Um, or like the risk financially or the risk, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I'm very, I'm much more comfortable doing the risk for my career because that's sort of all of all that I've known. Um, whereas my life risk is way less. So yeah, I never thought of, I mean, we take risks every day, kind of, I mean, walking on the street, you're taking a risk. Like you could right. literally say anything is a risk. So if there wasn't those risks, I feel like that fight or flight instinct would start to dissipate, which is exactly how we were born into or mm -hmm. what we were born into. So I just tap into that a lot more within my job than I do in my real life. Although my job is a part of my real life, but in, in aspects of our life together, I feel like I am not the risk taker and you are definitely more of the risk taker. <laughs> but, but do you think that um, maybe you don't think about the risk in your career because you were young when you started it or you were, you know, in high I just, school. There's always been a risk in whatever I've done outside of like life stuff. So like when it came to playing sports or when it came to um, trying out for this team or cheerleading or, you know, dance competitions and things like there, risk has always been a part of those things for me. So I never saw it as a hindrance. I just saw it as like, that was a part of, of the process of it. Was it. Just, it was normal. Yeah. It was never explained in a negative way either, or, or that it wasn't going to be there. It was always very like, I feel like people, my parents, everyone was very honest with what could happen and what can happen and what may happen and what may not happen. So it was never sort of a shock that I was taking these risks. Um, and then for like life things, there's, I mean, I tell you all the time, like I look to you as the security of like, because my job is so risky and you never know when your show is going to close or when a pandemic will take down 
a show and, and the industry. And so like you having your particular jobs was in my brain, the security of everything. And so I'd never then started a question in life, the risks that I was taking. Like what that even is. Right. So yeah, it's, it's something that I think I'm going to have to really zone in on and focus on because that's not, I'm very comfortable with it in my day to day career path, but not so much with regular life stuff. Right. So now would you say a little light malfunction? There we go. Um, so now would you say, um, knowing the risk that you did take to, um, get to where you are in your career, um, would you do it all over again? Would you take on that same risk? Because yesterday you said that there was a good chance, um, that you might not have been picked for a lot of the shows that you were picked for, even though you know that you did deserve it. Right. Um, and that it is just by luck of the draw sometimes, like one person seeing you on one day and, you know, you could have been the same talented, hardworking dancer and right. performer that you've been, but maybe that one person didn't see you in that one audition that got you your break. Right. And, then, um, and then maybe that wouldn't have led to your next show, right? And then, and then maybe you just did catch bad breaks. Right. And that is a true possibility, even though you're as talented and as hardworking as you are. So um, knowing that and knowing that associated risk, would you do it again? And it might be biased to say yes, because you've already right. made it and you're right. still in it. But um, like really think about it. Would it be beneficial to be naive to that risk, knowing what you know now? Or do you think it can be made sense of? No, I think it definitely can be made sense of, and I would 100% do it all over again, whether I knew the outcome or not. Um, I was pushed from a young age to go after what I wanted. And so the question of whether or not I would achieve it never really was in question. It was more a question of when it wasn't if. So I'm very goal oriented. So if I set my, like a goal for myself, I have to see it through. So I think I would still be, I still am like going through the trenches of getting back to Broadway per se in New York city. Like I'm mm -hmm. on a Broadway national tour right now, which is the exact same show from New York, just put on the road so that other people around the country get to see it, um, who can't travel to New York city to see it. So I, yeah, I definitely think that I would have had the same like determination and passion to go after it, even knowing what the outcome currently right now is. Would you um, hypothetically say that you didn't make it, right? Say that you, and, and I don't even know like what you would consider making it. Like, you know, you don't have to make it to Broadway to have a successful no, like performing that was career. Right. Like right, my that goal. was your personal goal. Right. So say you didn't ever achieve that personal goal and you never made it to a Broadway show. Knowing how hard you worked and the effort that you put in and how resilient you've become, uh, because of that process and the amount of failure that you did have to endure and make sense of, um, do you think that you would be just as proud of yourself now for having done that? So to like the outside eye, I'm sure people would say absolutely. But personally for myself, I think if I didn't reach that pinnacle and reach that goal that I set for myself, I would still be striving for that. I don't know if I'd ever be complacent with not having reached that. Okay. Because even now, having reached it, like I still want to keep reaching it, and so, yeah, I think I think I would, 
I don't think I would be content with just, just not reaching that goal that I set personally, but some people are totally fine with it. And I'm like, you know what? I put in the years, I did X amount of shows regionally and on tour and whatever else. I'm like, I'm good. Like, I feel like I've accomplished that, but I, right. Which is totally like, that's their path. My path is I need to see it through to to the end. And that was with anything. Like that was when I was playing soccer. It was just, I needed to know that I can reach my max potential um, and achieve that because I knew I was capable of doing it. I think, I mean, I, I think that that's what it is for a lot of things. I think, I mean, what you're saying is it comes down to mindset, right? It's, it's really, you're not giving yourself um, another option. So right. someone else's goal might not have to be Broadway. It might, it might just be, um, I don't know, to be a great teacher or right. I don't know, to be the best physical therapist that they could be. Um, maybe to work at a certain hospital or to have a certain position or, you know, just to have uh, their own practice or something. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe if more people had that same mindset to whatever their personal goals are, it doesn't have to be the the pinnacle of a specific industry. Right. I think that mindset speaks a lot to your success. Right. There was also never a sense of like entitlement. Like I'd never, like everything that I have got from the time I got into LaGuardia high school up until now like I have worked for and I know I've worked for and it has been because of the steps that I took personally within my life to make it there. So that's also, I guess, another um, thing for myself is just like knowing that like I am doing all I possibly can to reach those goals. Um, And I've gotten there because of the work that I've put in and not just because of who I know or, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of different variabilities that come with getting into a show. So I know that all of the shows I've been a part of truly have been because of the auditions I had and the work that I've put in to get to that place to begin with. So you would want our future kids to have that same kind of mentality, right? I guess to, uh, to regardless right, like, of how big like the what I is. Love, like, right. Relieve some of the struggle and like, anxiety and stuff over it absolutely but i do think by going that it built the person that i am i was gonna say if if you were uh if if your experiences were curbed to a degree and you weren't allowed to experience a lot of the struggle or um you know the challenges that you did would you have become who you are right i don't know like there was nothing was ever really sugar-coated it was, it was like, these are the facts. This is how it is. This is how, what you have to do to like get to that point. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think I probably would be the person or the performer I am today if I didn't have to put in that work at such a young age. I, so I went to high school for obviously dance, as you know. So it's, I was. I was going to say, so, so talk about some of the sacrifices that you had to make at a young age that you see that paid off now. So I went to LaGuardia the long title of our school is Fiorello H. LaGuardia High School of Music and Art and Performing Arts. Probably the longest name that a high school can have, um, but it's to most known as the fame school. So you go in and you have to audition to get into the school and you have to test academically to get into the school. It's a public school in Manhattan and living on Staten Island, I got into the school both academically and um, within my major, which was dance. And I would have to be on the 6.30 ferry every morning. And then I wouldn't be getting out of school until at least like 3.30, 4 o'clock. And that's if I didn't do anything after school 
be at the talent show called Rising Stars or things that I had to do within, within the dance department. So I then wasn't getting home. I was probably then getting anywhere from like the six to seven o'clock ferry boat going back home to Staten Island and then having to do my extracurriculars because I didn't want to leave my dance studio at the time. So then I was going to dance and then having to do all of my homework and studies to then just repeat it all the next day. So I was probably clocking in about like four hours of sleep a night to be able to academically be in the scholars and also still want like do what I wanted to do, which was dance with my friends at my local studio. So I didn't have the traditional high school experience. Like I didn't go to football games and I didn't go to school dances. Like my high school only had to dance your senior year and that was your prom. Um, and we had sports teams, but of course we're in arts high school. So they were good teams, but a lot of the times, like the games would be after school at somewhere in the Bronx or in Brooklyn, you were playing schools within the five boroughs. So for us to travel, to go to those fields, we didn't have a home field. So we were always the, like, the visiting team. So it, it was a very different experience than say you got going to a school on Staten Island that was known for its sports and its academics and had its home field and everyone went to those games and it was, it was like an event. Like we didn't have that. Um, our gymnastics team was really good. So that, that was like LaGuardia's claim to fame and our nice. girl soccer team was really good, even though I couldn't be on it. Um, so it was just like a very different experience, but I got to then, like be in a school surrounded by all different cultures and diversity and people who wanted to be at this school specifically to be within the arts. I was going to say they had a similar mindset. And right. Similar so all goals. of us had a goal to want to do this professionally, mm. at least at the age of 13, whether people stuck with it post high school, um, like a lot don't. Um, and some end up going to college for it or some just start right away, like immersing themselves into the arts. Um, so it was like you were able to, it was a very different high school experience, but also a very unique one. So all of our projects within the school and our academics were all combined with our major. So if you got paired up with someone who was in the vocal department and I was in the dance department, our school project for history, whatever we chose to do it on had to involve our major. So it was just a, it was a creative outlet while you're still learning about the stuff that you had to learn about, you know, you still had to learn this curriculum, but they would spin it so that it at least became interesting to us and allowed us to use our talents in the ways that were best fitted for us, where some schools it's, this is That's the cool, test, yeah. this is the project and you write a paper or, you know what I mean? It forces so, you to think outside the box and get right. creative. Enough. And you also then get to see what other majors are doing. So like I was the dance and art floor were on the eighth floor of our building, but then drama was in the basement and then tech was also in the basement, but then voice was on the fourth floor. So it's like every floor sort of had its own major in a way. Um, and so like as the art majors were like learning whatever they were learning in their class, they would come and sit in on our dance classes and take those aspects they learned in their art class and pertain it to dance and draw us in our dance classes. So it was really interesting being in a school like that because you got to truly like divulge into other people's talents and see what they're like, how they're seeing it through their eyes. Um, so, yeah, it was a like crazy and different experience, but like I would not trade that. Yeah. for the world because I feel like that is how I, you know, it forced you to learn how to sacrifice from early on too. Right. Right. 
you had like, to sacrifice a lot of the and, like, lifestyle that right. you knew High before that. And, like all those things I did not, I didn't have time. <laughs> like there was no time for me to really enjoy that aspect of, of high school. And then that also then transitioned right into college where I like didn't have time to go to like college parties and frat houses and sorority. Th- like there was none of that. And like the goal was purely, <laughs> I, yeah, good. the goal was purely working to get on Broadway when I got to college in high school, it was aiming to get into Ailey. Right. Like I wanted to be in that company. You know what I mean? So I always had some form of a goal in grammar school. Like mm. I was going to be on the women's national team. Right. Like I was going to the Olympics. Like there was never a question of like, so, so look at, look if at I was going to do it, it when. Look at how you're framing that. Right. I am going to play on this team. Right. I am going to get into that school. I but am that's going also because to. The people that were backing me, my parents and teachers and coaches like also saw that potential. So that is how they spoke as well. Mm. It wasn't like, Oh, Brit, I don't know. Like, it was just like, oh, you want to do this? Okay, let's do it. Like, there was never a doubt in their minds, which then made me not have any doubts. Right, which is huge at that age, especially. Right, right. When, when you're second-guessing every single thing you do at as a teenager, it's like yeah. having the backbone of those people really, really helps. And I feel like like your sister sometimes jokes, or she's like, if I were to have your mom as my mom at that time, <laughs> like, I could have, maybe I've been on Broadway. You know what right. I mean? And your mom says it too. She's like, yes, like, my mom was very goal oriented. Like if we, if she found something that we really loved, she would do anything possible to make that happen. Mm -hmm. So like Courtney, my sister was really good in swimming, really good in tennis. Courtney had like a private tennis lesson. She was on a swim team. Like, so Mm -hmm. my parents sort of like guided us towards where they saw us thriving, even if we didn't see it, Um, which helps so much because if you have that backbone, and it's not just you being your own champion. It it makes a world of difference. It helps you to like, believe that you're a champion yourself. Right, right. So, so I luckily had good a good corner of people cheering me on. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So you're this high school kid. You're making big sacrifices. Um, you're taking on big risks, and you don't even know it yet. Right. Um, <laughs> booked a couple shows you've now been in your career for over 10 years um and you're looking to i'm not that old but when you say it that way it makes it seem like i am i just started young i started young um yeah you started young and and don't worry you don't look your age um so you're now in your career for 10 years um and and you're starting to become aware of the risk that you're taking still being in your career because you're just getting older, wiser, more aware, um, more experienced, um, different experiences. So now being more of a veteran um, in your career, I view this kind of like sports, like where the, um, the sports player has to adjust their game over time, you know, because their body changes, they learn different tricks of the trade, um, and they're trying to stay for as long as they can and continue to participate. Um, because it's their dream, right? And if you could continue to live out your dream, you're going to do it. So now, so you in that position now, how do you view that? How do you go about that? How do you try to maintain, you know, think of it physically, mentally, spiritually, um, not just on the road, but just in your career and um, for the rest of your time? There is always something to learn. And I think that's what kind of keeps me going is, there 
there is always room to grow. There's always room to learn something new. There's always something to learn from someone else. So the moments that start feeling very like mundane, I try and like pick someone or something to just like focus on and be like, okay, what is the lesson that this person can teach me? Or what is the, the thing within this show that I've been missing or haven't been doing full out or haven't like I try and it's kind of like playing a game with yourself. Like I try and just keep myself interested with things. It's like when we first started dating and I said, just like trick your brain. It's like making your bed for the day is like, you've already accomplished something. So like you've already started your day on a good foot. Like you made your bed. It sounds silly, but it <clears throat> sets yourself up to be like, okay, well, I already did one thing for today. Like what's another thing that I can do. So I sort of think of things as a, a checklist in my brain um, and being, especially doing the same show every day, the show is never the same. So like my choreography is the same. I used to think every show is the same, but it's not. I've, I've not come even to appreciate close. that. Yeah. Right. So it's like the lines are the same. The songs are the same. The dance steps are the same. How you execute all the above is different and who you're on stage with every night can also be different. And you're also dealing with everyone else's personality, everyone else's outside things that are causing what them. What kind of day they're having. Right. And so now you're dealing with 30 different people's outside life coming into one space to do this one show for an audience for the night. And so it's really interesting navigating a yourself and your own feelings, but then navigating 30 other people who are on stage with you, plus then another 30 plus people who are a part of your crew and your company. So it's groupings of these large people that make it interesting to say the least, to, to keep doing the same thing over and over again, because it's never going to be the same. So you're, you're forcing yourself to stay curious. Right. So that, that to me is, is the easiest way f to try and, and keep things like spicy and fun is, is trying to like pinpoint different things that like, I want to focus on this today. And how can I do that? Or I'm feeling this way. How can I like switch what I'm thinking or switch the wording that I've been saying things as to get myself out of like the negative place. Or if I'm being like too much and too hyper, like how can I bring myself back down and to be grounded? So the road is a completely different world than doing it in New York. I mean, I've experienced now both. I've experienced a cruise ship, working on a cruise ship, doing a Broadway show on a cruise ship. I've done all the above. So each experience is completely different. Non-equity touring is different than equity touring, which is different than working on a cruise ship, which is different than working on Broadway, which is different than working in a regional house. So there's always like your environment is constantly changing, which is like I was saying yesterday that the only thing that you can really control is yourself and your feelings and your actions. And so that that is how I try and navigate is like, how can I just be the most me and hopefully other people can gravitate towards that. And I do not to pat myself on the back, but I do feel like people do gravitate towards me because I'm so calm and chill is like always what people say. They're like, you are just so chill. Like nothing rattles you. Nothing goes crazy. Like you never are like freaking out over things. And like, yes, to an extent that's true, but like internally I have, and I am, and there, I just deal with it in a different way. Like, I feel like from the things that I've experienced between like life and even within the industry, like things are not as life and death as people feel they are in the moment. Mm -hmm. And when they recognize that and they recognize like 
this is not going to be something that you think about in 20 minutes. But right now it feels like the be all end all. And like, you're allowed to have those feelings and you're allowed to have those experiences and like, let your body go through that. But when your brain clicks back in and you realize like reality is it's, it's not that bad. Then all of a sudden people are like, oh, wait, I just wasted all of that energy on that instead of doing it or wasting the energy. on So, something so other people that might not understand that might eventually get burnt out in some way, shape or form. Right. Right. And, you know, maybe want to leave your industry or just never click with a cast member or right. casts that it's, they're in. It's really difficult. Like it's not, it's not an easy gig. It's really fun and I'm grateful to be a part of it, but it's definitely not like a walk in the park. Like I feel most would assume it is like they hear you're a performer and they're like, Oh, you get to like sing and dance and like do what you love every day. And it's like, yes, absolutely. But that doesn't mean that it's not also difficult. Right. <laughs> So there's always like that common misconception. And, and in all honesty, I don't know many people that would take on that risk, like we were talking about, right. of, of putting themselves out there to completely right. fall flat on their face and fail. Right. Like I also took the risk right, with you where we got married and two months later, I'm like, I might have to go on tour again. Do you know what I mean? Like there's also a risk with then the choices I'm making now for myself also involve you and also involve like our families so it's like, I'm not only thinking about myself, like it's not as selfish as it seems that I'm getting to do what I, I love to do. Like there still are so many factors that go into it. And like, when do we want to start a family? When do we want to do these things that like don't have to do with theater, but also have to do with like, I have to then be out of the industry for. Right. Nine and then months. that's, that's when the factor of, you know, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity and right. you are that professional athlete that's competing with people that are coming right out of college, right? For the same right. jobs, same right. positions. Right. I'm competing with people who are 10 years younger than me. Like there's and planning on being in the industry for another, right. and they're planning on being in the industry for another two decades. Right. And, right. and you've already been in it. So you, you now have to compete with them. So your window is obviously shorter. Right. Right. Yeah. It's very interesting because even like the company members who have joined the tour now, like one, is just graduating from college. Another girl left college to come and do this. Like I think back now and like, that was me. Right. Like I, I went on tour at 19, which is exactly what this girl's doing. But because I like, I'm like, Oh my gosh, she's 19. But like, I did it. You know what I mean? Like that was me just those years ago. So it's, it's interesting to see and compare myself to what I see them doing on tour and what I did on tour or like how I would respond to certain situations at my age it and contextualizes I, your own growth. Right. It, it is really interesting. So that's why I'm saying like, there's always something to learn, which I think keeps it interesting, which makes the risk kind of pay off in the end. Because whether or not I make it back onto Broadway in New York City again or not, the lessons and things that I'm learning on this particular contract are just as important as the ones that I could be learning in New York as well. So I'm grateful I've gotten to tackle every sort of capacity of theater um yeah and it's just like now it's kind of a battle of like well I could we could start a family and I could do all those things and go back to theater would I want to do I not want to do I want to go into the associate world like there's just like now the risk questions start just being about different things than what they were you know when I first which I would say is growth right 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 yeah um I like that a lot yeah. Thanks, um, so let's just uh, 
project the future. So where else would you like to be in your career? What else would you like to do before you finish? Um, ideally, I would like to do a, a few more shows. Like I feel like I have a few more as like a, a, a performer in my belt, like in my wheelhouse. I would love to do that. And I would really love to do associate work. I love being behind the scenes. I love seeing shows from the ground up and like watch them grow. A Bronx Tale was really the one that I kind of saw from the very beginning stages through Broadway. And it is unreal to watch. Yeah. And like you even got to watch it like from behind the scenes. Like it's very interesting to see what goes into these major shows and how they stay afloat and how passionate people are about about their work like it's it's inspiring and it's inspiring seeing people come into the room to audition for these shows and like really want to be a part of it um and I just love that aspect of it so if I can transition from like performing into associate work like that is the ideal um so hopefully that can happen so I'm going to put that out there that I can do that the baby babies whatever we end up having or doing you know what I mean like that that would be the ideal goal is to stay within the industry. Um, I was joking around with stage management on my company the other day where I was like, if I was going to stay on as a swing, so the stage managers and the cast members are all part of the same union. So technically I can work as a stage manager as well. It's within my same union. I wouldn't have to do anything differently. Obviously I have zero experience in stage managing, but I was saying like, if I were to stay on as a swing, instead of being now an ensemble track, like I would have asked if I could start learning the deck, which is our like the stage, right. learning how to call a show, learning how to like cue things up backstage um, because they have the most interaction with the company still. So it still keeps you in like the little bubble of our cast, but you love you're being doing involved much more. Well, I love being involved in, <laughs> um, but it just is like a different side of it. So like you're right. still w- immersed in the world of theater, but you're just not doing your show eight times a week physically you're doing it in a different capacity um so yeah it's it's hard it's like I don't I don't think I'm done I don't think I'm like ready to be done yet but then I also have all these other things that I really want to do as well that like can they work hand in hand like I see it happen like there are tons of mothers who are still performing and dancing on Broadway and so like seeing that gives me hope to do it it's just a matter of like when the time comes and what shows up and like, you never know. <laughs> Cause like we can start having children in the next year or so. And like, there could be no shows for me right. or shows that I can get in, which would work out perfectly. But that normally doesn't happen. And something always like it gets thrown in the mix and like switches things up. And so it could be where like all of a sudden there's four shows that I'm right for. And I'm like, Oh, but I really wanted to have a baby, but now I'm also really wanting to do this. And so it's, yeah. Good problems to have ultimately. Always, always. But yeah, there's like, I feel like no decision is ever an easy decision, even though I'm doing something that I really love to do. And I would argue that no decision that's worth making should be easy to make. Right, right. And I know it's not easy because I care about both sides of it equally. And so you're right. right. It's good things to like question and, and have, you know, thoughts on. Yeah. Um, all right, I have one last question for you. It's a random one, but I wanted to end it off with a random one because I thought it might catch okay. you off guard. Um, you always catch me off guard. So, Do you believe in aliens? Do you think aliens um, are real? 
So this is like, I feel like we're like the old school Catholic guilt starts to creep in where if I say no, like I'm going to be abducted. But if I say yes, they're going to like leave me alone. So I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds silly. Um, I want to say that there's, I do think. There's no right or wrong answer. It's what you think. I know. But in my brain, there always is. And that's another thing. I always, yeah, I always think there is a right answer. Um, I don't know. I feel like there's definitely like life outside of earth, whether that's an alien, I'm not, I'm not sure, but like, why do we also always contradict or like think that aliens are like odd? Like maybe like we're an alien. We're aliens to them. Right. You know what I mean? I don't know. So it's like maybe just the connotation of the name makes it seem more like eerie and like freaky than what it really is. Like there could be literally like what we have a, on earth could be something on a another Britney planet. Alien. Right. Right. And yeah, uh, so that Britney alien might not be half bad. Right. So I want to say like, yes. Safely. So you don't have yes. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Like, yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> nice. Um, do you have any questions for me before we head out? I, uh, I, I pulled out of you a lot, but I wanted to. I know. I feel like you're purposely putting me on podcasts so that I actually divulge stuff that you've been asking me for years. Yes. <laughs> that you kind of weasel out of. Right. We're in the car or something. Yeah. Um, hmm. Do I have any questions for you? I always have questions for you. I think it's so interesting how inquisitive you are. You constantly are trying to learn things about people and things, and it is inspiring. So I cannot wait to see where this podcast goes. I'm very thrilled that I am your first guest. <laughs> I was getting a little bit <laughs> petrified that you were not going to have me as your first guest, and I was about to be like, um, hello, <laughs> like you have someone sitting right next to you. I was, I was trying to ice you. But you're smart. You're smart, and you picked right. Um, I would say, what is your goal within the next like five years what are you what's your With this podcast in life like what's your short-term five-year plan per se because you're like a five-year planner 10-year planner like you are one who writes it out I definitely am not I sort of fly by the seat of my pants most of the time and just like fingers crossed it's going to work but you do plan in that aspect of our life more than I say I would I plan much more in the moment than you do but I would say, like, long-term, I feel like you have set goals, as did I, but mine are, obviously, like you said, like, more career-driven, where I, like, set the goal and achieve it. And now I'm starting to try and transition how you do into, like, life goals that don't involve my career so much. I think, I think mine are just um, less seen on the stat sheet. Right. They're less on like, So what is your, yeah, what's your, like, five-year plan? Hmm. Um. Definitely to start a family with you, right? That's why we uh, got married. That's why I wanted to do that. Um, Solely. Yeah, my five-year plan, if I'm thinking more with this podcast and just things that I want to do, I would say if I could help people live happier, healthier lives in any way, shape, or form before they die, um, I I succeeded. If that's uh, helping you lose weight, if that's, helping you um, just think about something differently or 
you just were entertained by a conversation on this podcast or you read a tweet or we had a good conversation or we became friends. Um, if I could just put out positive ripples in some way, shape or form before I leave this earth, um, I succeeded. So if I could go about that in ways that I find to be interesting and um, enjoyable, I'm just going to keep following that. And, um, and the pandemic sort of forced you to do that. To like you always that. said you had these goals, but you actually started going after them. I didn't, I didn't really know how to approach I had no it. Other choice. I, I didn't know on what avenue I, I enjoy teaching and I love teaching and I, I, I love working with kids. Um, I think that's because I, I just enjoy education in general sure. and learning and, um, and you pertain life skills to your class, which I feel like most teachers don't do. Like you don't go off of a textbook. You don't, do you know what I mean? Like you will take an article that you read and have your kids annotate an article or like you or did skills and reverse engineer right. like skill. You take stuff that is applicable and that they see as worthy of, of things that they're going to actually use in life. Because in, in reality, the, in my, in my mind, there's no point to school or education if it's not teaching you how to be. Right. Which is right. sort of the, how your name came about for the podcast, right? So funny story, the, the name for the podcast, um, my friend Ian that you know, um, he told me one day we were talking, I forget when or what we were talking about, but he just called me his heuristic homie one day and I thought that was an interesting name and, and I liked that. It. it made me laugh, but I started looking into what the name heuristic meant. And um, I, I really liked the word. It just meant, you know, it's self-discovery, um, uh, learning through exploration. Uh, right. You people... drop the seed, but it allows the person to fester and foster their own right. ideas and thoughts about it. It's creating the sandbox, putting the toys in the sandbox, putting the sand in the right. sandbox, and then stepping back and letting the people play and figure out and learn on their own. Because Which ultimately control of themselves, right? right. Like, ultim like ultimately people... kids make their own rules in the sandbox. Right. And people start to, I feel like start to crumble a little bit when they feel like they're losing control. So that was like another huge thing. Again, I go on tangents a lot, but we, I was talking to a girl on this tour, Olivia, and she was saying like, how do you do tour? Like, this is like your third tour. You've worked on a cruise ship. Like, how do you keep doing it? And I just said, because I make my day in my control. She's like, I feel like all I do is live at the theater, which she was, she was staying up until 3am going out, then sleeping her day away and getting up at one, two o'clock. And then, yeah, we have to be at the theater early enough to like warm up. If some, someone new is in the show, like we have to do things on stage before the show starts. Like you are living at the theater because that is what you're delegating. So, in your life. so, so, so think about how many people are actually experiencing their day to day like that. Right. Right. So then right. how is it, how important is it to learn the things that you learned in school, even the four main subjects compared to just learning how to be a human being in that moment and how right. to self-regulate or have some kind of agency to the point where you're like, you know what? I, I know that tomorrow I don't have to worry about what I'm going to eat because I know how to make right. healthy choices. Right. I know that I need to get to bed by 10 PM. I know that right. I need to get to, uh, you know, drink water. I know that I need to prioritize certain things. So learning how to be a human being right. is it's not easy. as easy as what people think. Right. It's not. Right. So um, if I could help people do that in some way, shape or form, that's my goal. Right. Right. So I was just saying like 
to, to tie that back, like I make it a goal. Like I set an alarm every morning. I get up, I walk around whatever city I'm in. I go and check out a new thing. I make it a point to do whatever is known in that city at some point throughout the week or two weeks, three weeks that we're in that city. And then it feels like I'm actually do, like I'm choosing to You're do You're not something. drifting. Correct. I'm not just like following what everyone else is doing. You know what I mean? Like I, and they call me, they're like, you're literally like the planner of everything. But it's because like, they're like, what is Brittany doing tomorrow? And I will always have something to do because I cannot just like sit in a hotel room and sit in the theater. That's just not. You're, we're you're not creating like, your own week. Right. So I get up, I go, I call you, I go eat some breakfast. I walk around. I'll then do a little excursion. I'll come back. You know what I mean? Like there, I, I try and have like a little bit of a routine where even if I do go out with the cast or people at night, like I'm not staying until they close the bar down. Do you know what I mean? Like there's some sort of like limitation that I give myself so that I can still have my day the next day. Um, what's the, uh, Larissa's going to kill me, but I don't remember this. Um, Stira and Suka, right? The mm-hmm. balance between. Um, right. Like the, the push and pull. The push and pull, right? Yeah. Like we're, we're always being pushed and pulled throughout life. And uh, sometimes when we're just drifting, mm-hmm. we don't realize that we have the ability to influence that push and pull in some way, shape, or form. Right. It's like it feels like your drift, we're just, right. we're just right. smashing up against the guardrails um, right. until we wake up the next morning and then we just smash into right. the guardrail. So I lived, right. So I lived with Olivia for a few cities and Airbnbs and she started like adapting more to my schedule. Like not as early as I get up, which is still not as early as you get up, but like earlier than she was. And she literally says it's like changed her outlook and like her day to day. Like she's like, I feel like I can actually like stay on tour longer than I thought I would because it's not so monotonous. It's not so like, I'm just sitting at the theater and then I'm going home and then I'm doing the theater and like, you still have to sort of have a a little bit of a life out here. Like in New York, you're having your life and then you're going to your show at night unless you have rehearsals or whatever the case may be, but you're still doing stuff for you and your life that don't have to deal with theater and like your job. And so I think that's like universally, like people just have to, it's like when people say you're married to your job, like, yes, you have to put in the time and energy and effort to be the best that you can at that job. But you also have to remember that there is another side to it and that you have to still be able to like live your life. Essentially. Be a human being outside. Of your right. Job. Right. You don't want to leave a place regretful. And that's what I try and do is like, as much as it gets like difficult and, and it's so fun. And then like, so not fun, like the, the roller coaster of events and like emotions are crazy out here, but it's also like, at the be all end all, like I'm traveling the country still. Like I have seen every yeah. state. I've seen all of Canada. I've seen the Caribbean purely from work. You know what I mean? There's so, so many people that don't leave their city or town. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's like immersing yourself into these different cultures and different cities shows you what like, like sometimes I'm like, okay, if I was a local, like what would I be doing today? So it's like but, putting right, yourself. But in now these- do you do that out of fear of, is, is what drives you to have that kind of agency and to be the one that creates your own wake. Are you doing that out of fear of feeling like, uh, like, you know, like you're drifting or out of fear of feeling like you don't have that kind of ownership over your day or your choices or your life? Or is it more so? I'm just curious. Like this is, this is right. Like, when am I going to do this again? Uh, to right. be honest, I didn't think I'd be back on tour once we got married, period. And now right. that I am, it's like, how can I still embrace it and, and like submerge myself into it while still like 
knowing I'm away from my family, I'm away from you, I'm away from all the things that are very comforting and what I want my life to be, right. to still be able to like do the job that I love. Right. So that's so that, not, no choice is ever an easy choice. No decision or thing you're, that you're put into is going to be easy, but it's like finding the little things in it that make it rewarding. And, and um, I think that curiosity that you're talking about that makes you do that is really important because the curiosity could be what drives you to go to bed early, to wake up tomorrow, right. to have a big day, right? Like um, the curiosity of, of what could be tomorrow or what you could experience um, and just being open to that possibility could be enough to incentivize you right. to have one drink out with your cast and go home, right. like, you know, two hours earlier than everyone else just to get right. some, some better sleep. Right. Like um, I'm, you, it's just like, it's the, the FOMO. Like, it's just knowing that like, you're really not missing out on you're much. Not, you're probably you know not missing out on much. Right. right. And if, and once you like are okay with that, then, then that, that like anxiety of like, Oh, what if I miss this story? Or what if I miss this inside joke? And now at the theater, everyone's going to be talking about it tomorrow and I'm not going to know what's going on. And it's like, okay. And like changing your life. No, you know what I mean? And if it is going to change your life, you're going to know about it. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll catch up with everyone tomorrow as I'm, uh, in a, in a nice state of mind, sipping the coconut water. Like everyone jokes. They're like, I always find things out like weeks later and I'm like, wait, when did that happen? And they're like, Brittany, like two weeks ago. But it's because like, I like to know everything, but not be fully involved in it. Like I like to know what's going on, but like, I don't want to be a part of your drama. Do you know what I mean? So it's, yeah, like my ears are everywhere, but like myself is just with myself. So I try not to divulge in all the like, there, and there's petty drama and everything. You know what I mean? Like someone can always find something to complain about. And so misery loves misery. And so like the second you start to feed it, it's and like all of a sudden. Love, like, love attracts oh, love. Right, right. Which I think is now like, like I do really feel like I am that presence for a lot of people in this company because a lot of people haven't toured before. A lot of people is this is like their first kind of big thing. And so they do look at me and they're like, oh, Brittany Kanagati, Broadway's Brittany Kanagati. Like they look at me in a different light, even though I'm doing the exact same thing that they are. But because I just have like the years on them, in a mm-hmm. sense, I started doing my first professional show at 17, where someone here just started at 22. So like those years are matter. You know what I mean? Like, like the experience I had from 17 to 22, like I went on a, a, a national tour. I went on a cruise. Like I did things. I worked regionally that like they are just coming into this national tour. So it's, it is interesting how. You have to stay curious. Right. Right. And, and even going back to what you asked me, what's my plan for the next five years? It's sometimes hard for me to even know because um, if I think about what's driven me to get to where I am now, it's simply been following my curiosities. I think. Um, sorry. Okay. I think, um, yeah, when I was in high school, I was curious about my personality and um, how I could become a little bit more outgoing or just right. develop my character in some way, shape, or form. Um, are you texting right now? You just texted on uh, the person that I was. So uh, a college student needed to do an interview on someone who's been on Broadway oh, nice. before in the ensemble. Oh, and so I told you. them. They could call me at one o'clock, but I forgot him an you hour. Have multiple podcasts in one day? Oh my so, goodness! No, that's not a podcast. It's just like a little interview for his like college thesis or something. But 
I forgot I'm an hour behind, so it's one o'clock where he is, but not gotcha. where I am. So I just said I'll call you. I'll call you back in a little bit. Gotcha. Nice. No, I was gonna say. But um, I like helping people. Good. I like being that outlet for people. No, you're you're great at that. You are. <laughs> and I think you could even um, make a business out of that after um, you're done performing because you're very good at it. Um. Yeah. No. I. Th- I think uh, if people just follow curiosity, they won't be or their curiosity, they won't be so fixated on needing to know every step of their plan. I don't know if people recognize what their curiosity is sometimes. Like, I think they're like, oh, I'm interested in that, and then that's it. Like, I don't think a lot of people tap into it fully like you have. Yeah, I don't I don't know what that is. I think I'm... Like, you always... I've, I've always been that, like, interested in just wondering eat, why eat, anything... Right. I mean, but that that was also what made school difficult for me when I was younger. What made school right, difficult now, for me when I was younger was because I would always ask, all right, why am I doing this? But look what and, you've now often, done. But often, like, people couldn't give me an answer that was justifiable. Like, you know. Right, but now you have spun that as a teacher. And if a kid is asking you or a student's asking you, like, why are we doing this? You have I, a reason. I better come up with a reason that, right. that makes sense. And if it doesn't make sense, I need to readjust what I'm doing to, to make right. it applicable to real life. Because right. Nowadays, kids are even more informed, even more aware of uh, why they're doing what they're doing. Believe it or not, people think that Zoomers are completely unaware. They're more aware than us two. Well, they're also much more vocal. Like we feel we're like they they have an outlet. Right now, they like the kids nowadays question everything. Like I feel like I rarely like whatever was said to me, I just believed and was like, "Yep, absolutely." Like, "Yes, ma'am." No, like, you know what I mean? We, like didn't, were, we didn't have the same voice that kids do now or the right. same platform to have a voice. Which that I kids think do is now. a positive and a negative. It could be I positive or they, negative. Well, I think they lack a certain sense of, of respect in some instances because they think they know better or know all or they're entitled. Like there's a lot of entitlement I feel now with, with kids growing up. But that would, that entitlement was always there. It just never really, in my opinion, it was just never seen on a public scale or on a, in a public display because, um, in order to have your voice heard or to have your face on a screen Mm -hmm. 20 years ago, you needed to know someone or go into that industry or be a TV anchor or be interviewed, be someone to be worthy, have the merit or the, um, the skill to be interviewed, right? Like nowadays, if you have a phone, you could be seen by billions of people instantaneously. Right. So you're going to see a lot of arrogance. You're going to see a lot of people taking risks and doing things that. Um, right. Which like kind of is admirable in a sense, because good. I was so not that like I was the like, yes, Ander, like I was a people pleaser. Like, what can I do? What do you want me to do? Like, I will do it. That was me, which is why I feel like we're also very different because I truly don't question a lot. I, I question just, Absolutely, and everything. anything and everything. So I take, right, like I take things more at face value, and I'm like, well, that is what it is. And you're always like, no, 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 like think of it this way. And then I'm like, oh, or, or yeah, just ask why, right? Like just, just like people can make huge improvements in their life if they just ask why they're doing everything that they're doing. Mm-hmm. You don't have to know the answer, but if right. you just ask why, it'll start to get you to think about right. things a little bit differently and shift perspective enough to the point where you might start thinking about things that you're interested in, right? Because you're asking yourself, you know, why am I scrolling on my phone for 30 minutes when I first wake right. up? Like, wh- why am I doing that? 
Right. And then you might not have an answer, right? Because it's like, yeah, I don't, I actually don't know. know why. And then, and then you might second guess that behavior and you might adjust it. You might do something different. So I think what's driven me and what will continue to drive me is my curiosity. And I think sometimes I forget that. And uh, sometimes I could fuel that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, but that's been the number one thing. And I, I think that's what's going to keep me going. And it's, uh, it's paid off well so far. Right. I, I mean, I think so. We should Look at see. all the people you've met. Look at what you're doing. I know. It's fun. Like we've been together for nine plus years and like where we both started and now where we are, I feel like we are completely different people in a good yeah. way. And, and yeah, so I even see um, a lot of people on Twitter always say this, like Twitter gurus, they'll tweet this just to get a ton of traction and it kills me every time I say it. <laughs> the The phrase is, um, it's different iterations of it, but it's if you aren't looking back at your former self and cringing, it means that you're not growing. And that absolutely kills me because... I don't agree. To me, to me it tell, that tells me that you're coming from uh, a place and of that fear. that everything in the past was negative. And that you're not coming from a place of love. And ultimately, if you can look back at your former self and love yourself unconditionally... Right. And, you know, maybe forgive yourself for mistakes that you've made. Um, not everything in our, I also don't think everything in our past is a mistake. No. No, mistakes... And your failures lead to your like successes. there are things that I look back in my past and I'm like, yeah, yeah. Thank like God. that's great. You know what yeah. I mean? Like like if I was to look back at my past and cringe, like I would cringe about being on Broadway. I would cringe about you know what I mean? Like I would Well no, like um like like I, th I think they mean, you know, like like, you uh, like like picture yourself in high school. Like like if I think of myself in high school, was I saying cringy things in high school? Of course. Right? Of course I was saying right. if I saw myself I'm like, well, I kind of, I don't know if I was. I was a hundred, I 100% have said and done cringy things. Or if I saw right, myself on a right. video or just how I was standing or how I reacted, I'm sure right. I would cringe at certain things, but like the root of it, I would never look at myself and judge my growth as a human being or success um, right. based on how hard I'm cringing at myself. That, that doesn't really make sense. If I could look back at myself and want to give that guy a hug and want to tell that guy, I love you, that's. That to me is success because that means that I'm in a better place now than what I was then because I wouldn't have been able to do that then right. um, like I can now. And being able to do that now in the circumstance that I've been in um, proves my, my work towards that even more right. um, and, and, and what I've been able to do. So, yeah. We will leave it here. I think we're at the hour mark. Wow. I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to bore people too long. I think we're at an hour. Okay. Nice. We have about an hour and a half total for um, episode one, parts one and two with the beautiful and brilliant Brittany. Swanky. <laughs> All right, everyone. Um, hope you have a good day.